Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome to the Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with a bit of a stress relief for stocks, rebounding after the SVB shock. Investors now wondering what it all means for the markets, the Fed, the economy, and so much more. We'll ask billionaire investor Carl Icahn that very question in just a few moments when he joins us live. Here's your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation. Major averages, they are all still in the green today. A really nice day for the Russell. Not quite as strong as it was, but nonetheless, that strong regional bank rebound is helping small cap stocks today in the Russell. Yields reversing their recent declines as things stabilize a bit as well. There's the two-year 423. Brings us to our talk of the tape. Are we out of the woods for the time being? Simple question, maybe complex answer. Let's ask Adam Parker, the founder and CEO of Trivariate Research, a CNBC contributor as well. It's the question of the moment. What's the answer? No. We're not out of the woods. To what degree? Well, I mean, you know, it's multifaceted. I mean, even before this, I'd say a week or two ago, you know, we we were telling people, look, you know, everything looks worse than it did three months ago, right? Valuation, speculation, interest rates, earnings expectations, all that cocktail. You throw in here lack of confidence. uh, I think it's a problem. I think everyone I know and I've talked to over the last five days kind of nonstop is um, moving deposits out of any bank they're worried about to one of the big three or four. So is it over just because the things are bouncing today? No, it's not over. Uh, How could it be? So if you end up, you know, if you're a CFO or you're somebody, you know, in charge of making financial decisions for your organization, you find out a month or two from now that one of the banks you're with isn't in business, you're kind of a chucklehead. You didn't move into something safer, aren't you? What is that, a sample of two people who are moving money out of a a smaller bank. Probably about, I mean, probably I don't about a hundred. I don't want to make any. I mean, every every private equity investor, every private equity fund, every uh, hedge fund. People since the middle of last week have been thinking about their balances and where they should move them and what bank's safe and what's not. There, you know, there's just the risk reward of going to something. Uh, it's just skewed asymmetrically now. So, do I think? Do I think regional banks? Do we need so many of them? No, we don't need so many. We have a very weird country, right? In the top, top three thousand U.S. equities in our database at Trivert, there's like three hundred banks that are public. Do we need 300? So the old system of you knew your, I, I go see Scott at the corner, I like Scott, he's my banker, that's become a bit of an well, acronym. I don't understand what you're calling for. Are you, tell, are you, are you thinking there's going to be a broader crisis within regional banks? I think well, several. I don't, I don't want yeah. to have, like, yeah, I, I don't say, want things to get too, like, hyperbolic and, like, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, I'm 100 no, people pulling no, all their stuff out no, of the bank. I, and, I, but I just think more and more of these things are going to have uh, problems with their deposits. I'm not, you know, you know me, I'm not, like, histrionic about it. I, do I think that J.P. Morgan well, is going to be a shit? in a very mellow Sense, no, I think it'll be a share some... gainer. Look, I think really there's two there's two issues. One, and I don't know how you know we can go into the bank nerd stuff, but basically this hold to maturity part of the balance sheet that you're not allowed to access. If if rates continue to be elevated versus where people made investments, then the banks are just way too expensive. You know, we wrote in our note. I think you saw there's like an intellectually honest sort of loss adjusted price to you know tangible I mean, book you, you, you so if you're going to be the f- bank of america is too expensive the stock was wasn't the stock below book value no absolutely not no i mean uh, the stock 
was trading around one and a half at times. or book value. Well, like one and a half times tangible into last week. If you look at what they reported in their December 2022 10K, it was around 630 billion or so of uh, hold to maturity assets, about 100 billion loss on those. Their book values, tangible books, 175. So then the things. You use a different methodology. But everyone looks at price many. to book or price to tangible book. I'm just saying if you adjusted for the mark-to-market losses on, on a bank like that, then it's just much more expensive on price to tangible. It's not. Bank of America's fine in terms of, like, viability. I'm not, don't misquote me in any way. I'm just saying it's not as cheap as you think it is on price to tangible. That's we all. We wouldn't misquote you at all. You said the words on TV. You know, the words are the words. Yeah, the words are the words. And I did not say that there was a viability problem with any of the big banks like that. But I think some of the marginal regional ones where they have sort of, you know, people were worried about deposits. What, so what is the takeaway then? What's the takeaway for the market? When you have this kind of volatility and uncertainty, it should be rewarded with lower multiples. It's bad for the stock market. And I think the stock market's going lower. I think it's going 5, 10, 15% lower from here because almost all the major things I look at look worse. Now, it could be there's some big positioning argument. What are you rooting for with the Fed? That's the conversation I've been on all day since CPI. Well, of you know, course. What are you rooting for? Are you rooting for 125 bips and then a pause? Are you rooting for them to cut? I had somebody on the phone last night admit that, that if they don't cut by 100 basis points, uh, the banking system doesn't make any sense. So I think there's so much smart, smart people that are confused about what they're rooting for. That uncertainty to me means lower multiples. Forget about what we're, whoever is rooting for yeah. what. what. What should they do? What do you think they're going to do? I think they should pause. Right now? Yeah. Kind of see where we are. Um, and, and, and certainly I don't think they should raise anymore. I think the CPI is really an interesting metric. And the more all of us focus on in the last couple of years, most of the things that people need have deflated massively. You know, all the commodities, look at Bloomberg Commodity Index or wherever you look at it. And then some of the things that, you know, are kind of more discretionary are still inflating. So I, I think you, you kind of have to parse it. The main thing that is, is an issue, which we talked about for a long time, is the shelter portion where, you know, home, home prices are still high and cost of borrow size. So people are renting and that's propping up that owner's equivalent rent portion of CPI. But if you strip that away, a lot of things have deflated a lot, right? Oil. And, and other products. Yeah, but if I had to ask you that question last week before all this happened, I don't think you'd say they shouldn't do anymore. So you, are you right. profoundly changed as a result of, of I, what's happened I, here? I think it makes sense for them to pump the brakes and pause. You have kind of a, a crisis that causes them to, you know, I think, take a step back and reassess. Last time you were here, you recommended financials as part of your sector ideas. Yeah. That's changed now? Well, we good news is in my 15 years of being a strategist, I've never once met, recommended regional banks, so um, I guess that feels good. We were recommending consumer finance, right? Discover, Synchrony, Capital One, et cetera. We wrote in our note this weekend, we probably would take that trade off. It went higher, it went lower. Net-net, it's been up. But I don't have confidence anymore in, in, in any of these things, and I just feel like why should I be overweight, uh, you know, any financial institution at this point with tight financial conditions, uncertainty about what the Fed's going to do, uncertainty about uh, you know, so many aspects of the economy. I, I just think the risk reward skewed to the negative. All the way around. For, yeah, all the way around and for financials in particular. All right. I think the safest place is still going to be those mega cap banks that you know are going to be around and probably gaining share. You got to forgive me, but I got to go. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of stuff. Always yeah, good to be with you, man. Sorry, but yeah, it's a pleasure. Right. That's Adam soon. Parker, Trivariate, joining us here at Closing Bell. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. Are bank stocks a good buy right now? It's a simple question. We want your answer. Head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. Please vote. We'll share those results a little later on in the hour. And we are just getting started here on Closing Bell. Up next, a legendary investor, Carl Icahn, sets his sights now on Illumina, getting ready for a proxy fight there. We also, of course, get his take on the post-SVB market. 
where he sees stocks heading from here, what the Fed should do next week. Don't miss that. You're watching Closing Bell. We'll do it next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn finding his latest activist target in biotech firm Illumina taking issue with that company's acquisition of Grail, which specializes in cancer testing. The deal being contested right now by European regulators. Mr. Icahn nominating three people to that company's board and gearing up for a fight. He joins us now to discuss that issue and, of course, the state of the markets, the economy, the Fed. Carl, welcome back. It's nice to talk to you today. Yeah, good to talk to you, Scott. You know, we're, we're going to get to the Illumina thing in a minute, but just given where we've yeah. been over the past few days, I want to get to the markets first. And I, I want your take on, on what you think has transpired here uh, over the past few days from a market standpoint. Yeah, I don't think it's the last few days necessarily. I think... We have some major problems in our economy. Maybe they'll be fixed, but uh, you just look at many, many factors. Uh, we've, uh, you know, been on a spending spree, and you know the rising tide, you know, tide lifts all ships. But uh, a lot of people in our economy are not doing well. Obviously, you know, the net worth of the median household is is, is uh, nothing, basically. And you, um, you just look at what is going on. Uh, I think Powell really has to raise interest rates sooner or later. I, mean, I can't talk about next week or even next month, but I, inflation is the worst thing an economy can have, and I think people underrate that. If you look in history, every hegemony has been destroyed by inflation, or almost everyone. I mean, just go back to Rome. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. And uh, one of our major problems, I think, in this economy right now, is there's no leadership on the corporate level. You know, forget politically, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I think you, you do feel that in Washington, <laughs> nobody knows what's really going on. But forgetting that, in our corporations, and I've lived with that, I mean, all, all, uh, all my life, basically, and companies today 
really uh, have, with many exceptions, many, many exceptions, leadership is, is worse than mediocre. And that's why we are so successful. I mean, not because we're geniuses, but because you go into a company today, and that's what we've done over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's really horrible what you find in many of them. Just well, we're get to your, we'll, get to your, we'll get to your latest one, as I mentioned, in, in a minute. But I just want to yeah. drill down on this for a moment. So, so you think the Fed should keep going. You think the Fed should continue to raise interest rates despite what we just witnessed with you know, the bank failures. Well, in a way, they go together. I mean, you, you, it's a bank failure is a manifestation of the leadership in our companies and, and the way they spend money. And uh, you really have a moral hazard if you just keep bailing them out. I mean, in this case, I'm not going to opine on, on trying to save some poor people, although the, the, the depositors in Silicon Valley weren't exactly poor people. But that's not the issue. The issue is you have to stop inflation. So you say, did we keep going on? I don't think you have a choice. If, if, you, if you don't keep going on, I really believe that the problem of inflation can become such that there's very, it's very difficult to get, to get out of it. Hey, maybe there's something we can, you know, that happens. Maybe there's a miracle, but you, you do have inflation. I mean, look, if, if you stop... You know, if they don't raise rates next week or next month, I, I don't know. But I don't think I really don't think this is a choice, Scott. I, I think you can't have inflation in this country. You're paying the right. price. You know, if you've gone out on a binge, you spent the family wealth, and you just keep spending. At the end, you pay the price for it. I mean, and that's you what know, this country's done. I want your reaction to what Citadel's Ken Griffin told the FT about this very issue, in which. He suggested that the government should not have bailed out all of the depositors. Um, He said, quote, the U.S. is supposed to be a capitalist economy, and that's breaking down before our eyes. There's been a loss of financial discipline with the government bailing out depositors in full. What do you make of that statement? He also goes after the regulator. But what do you think about that? I can't opine on what Griffith is saying there because I don't quite understand where it goes. But I am saying that he's right, that, that our system is breaking down, and that we absolutely have a major problem in our economy today. And I'm not going to opine on whether or not you bail out a bank or something like that. But you can't have the country feeling that it, that it doesn't matter if they save. It doesn't matter because they can spend all the money they want. They can do whatever you want because the government will bail you out. You can't, he's right about that. You can't have that. Now, did, should you bail this bank out? I don't know. I, yeah, that's a part of it. I, I don't like to opine on things that I'm not really that conversant in. But I do agree that the system is breaking it out. And one of the major reasons, not the only reason, obviously, but one of the major reasons is that you don't have good corporate leadership. So you say, so what? But I'll tell you, so what? If you don't have good corporate leadership in companies, yeah, when the tide is high and things are great, it doesn't matter. And all these guys that run these companies are partying and having a good time and giving themselves bonuses. But their agendas are different than the people who invest with them. You know, they're looking to get their bonuses. And I tell you, I live it. So I, I go into it. And, and there's a reason that we make so much money. I, I mean, just to, to, to make the point, 
over the years, in 2000, if you invested in IEP, you annualized, you made it, reinvested the dividends, you made an annual return of 15%. And the closest is Buffett, who I believe made around 9%, S&P made 7%. But why? Because we go into companies and clean them up. And there's so much to clean up, and it's getting much worse now. We're one of the worst countries in the world as far as corporate governance goes. And I can go on and on about that. But no, yes, we'll, we'll get I think into, the whole, we'll, we'll, the whole said, economy, Griffin's sort of right. The economy is breaking down. But I don't say he's right because you bailed out some investors. But I do say he, you, you, he's right in the sense that our economy is breaking down. So I don't how, understand the capital, how you define capitalistic system. That's I know that you've been you, you, you've been fairly negative on the market for a while. You've been hedged, and I think you had given us an idea of how your positioning looked. I just had a guest come on and suggest that we're not out of the woods quite yet. You now have, you know, the stock market had a nice gain today, which was a bit of a relief rally, obviously, given a lot of that up. Do you feel like, you know, we still have some tough sledding ahead in the market? And how are you positioned as we're having this conversation today. Yeah, my book is uh, very, is, I, I try to keep hedged, right? IEP keeps hedged. Is, so I don't, you know, I try not to bet on the market or pick, you know, the market's going down tomorrow. But sometimes I do talk about what I think is gonna happen you know, over a period of six months, a year, two years. I remember being on your show, I think the last time, maybe, the last couple of times, a year ago, six months ago, eight months ago, and I said the same thing, that this market's going to really get hurt. And I was right on that, but big deal, you know. You, you, you really can't make a living picking the market, you know, day to day, month to month. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me how I'm hedged, I've, I've never, you know, the book is more short than long. And, and, and that's the way I've set it up. We have, and the law positions are the ones that, for the most part, we're going to be activists in or are activists in. So I, mm-hmm. I figure, you know, I could do better in those companies than the market. And, you know, you have some bad times and some good times. It doesn't work day in, day out. But that's how I feel. And, and uh, Well, if you're, if you're more short than long, you, you, I think at one point, your biggest... Maybe your biggest position overall, but certainly your biggest short was commercial real estate related, which some are now suggesting is p- potentially the next shoe to drop in all of this. What are your thoughts? Well, we, we, we were in that three years ago, as I told you, three, four years ago, we bought that CDS, it's complicated derivatives on it. And yeah, they're, they're coming to fruition pretty good. Uh, you know, but it takes time, right? It, and. You know, it's a very complicated derivative. I wouldn't suggest the average guy even thinks about doing it, but our real estate markets were completely, totally overvalued. These malls were completely overvalued. Even if you, even if you didn't have this mess, Amazon was taking a lot of business away. So you look at things simply. I mean, and, and, and so I, I'd say that and today, Today, actually, some good, there are some good companies around. There's some bargains around in the meat and potatoes kind of companies that I like to be in. But generally, I, I think you can't uh, justify buying, uh, you know, some of this S&P stuff and these technology stocks and 
whatever, and and where where they they can't justify a present value, meaning that with higher interest rates, which I think are here to stay, you really can't justify some of the prices of these tech stocks. Where you you looked at the present value and said, well, you're better than an interest rate. That was true when when you were talking two percent interest rates, but not now. And even there, at these tech stocks. They're run by people, in many cases, that shouldn't be running companies. I mean, I'm not saying they're not bright people, but I am saying they should not be running companies. And many of the ones that do run them, I don't think, I don't think have the trust of, of, of shareholders that put money into them. Have you, did you buy any, have you been buying anything in the last couple of days? You know, maybe bank-related, regional bank-related? Have you used any of the dislocations in the market to actually buy some stocks? The only thing, and, and I'd like to get to it for a moment, is this uh, Illumina, which I think is a quintessential example of what's wrong in corporate America. I, I mean, if, I'll ask you a question. I'd just like to say, if, if you owned a farm, or you inherited a farm, and, and you found out that the manager of your farm took your best equipment and sold it to somebody that they knew, I'd... And then, and then went back to them and bought it back at eight times what they sold it for. Would you be justified in going in and questioning them and finding out what it is and, and not be satisfied when they said, well, that was business judgment? I mean, that's what goes on in corporate America. That's what went on in the woman. The woman's a great company. But the stock lost. The management in that company managed to lose in the U.S. The last year and a half, they lost $50 billion of shareholder value in the stock market. $50 billion. And they, and they don't really feel contrite about it. They say, well, business judgment. What the hell does business judgment mean? And that is what, and that is what our corporations hide behind. They hide behind these words. So you, and, you bought... I mean, you I, own, I said, it's a sad commentary. You own 1.4% of, of the stock. And... Your issue is really with their acquisition of the cancer testing company, Grail, correct? Because they did it, in your contention, knowing that the EU was going to fight it and be against it. Is that the principal part of your argument? Yeah, well, the, the whole argument is it's insane because they went in and paid a huge price. So they, they, they had sold to, to a group of savvy investors. They sold... The same company. They own this company, Grail. They sold it to them a few years ago at a very slow price. The company hasn't really had any revenue since then. You know, it's a good company. I, I'm not saying it's not a good company with some good ideas. But had no revenue since then. They went back and gave these guys basically a profit of $5.5 to buy it back when that company didn't even have FDA approval. Okay, that's bad enough. But they did it, they did it after the EU told them that they weren't going to let them do it and told them they didn't want them to do it. And how do you do that without going, <laughs> it's, it's, it's laughable. How do you go and spend, I can understand they could get the, if they could get it back for a billion dollars, 800 million, okay, let's take a shot. But they spent $8 billion for it. And, and, they, and the thing has no revenue. So they cl and close over what the EU tells them 
So the EU stopped them in their tracks. The EU won't let them touch this company. It's costing them $800 million. The EU is making them put in $800 million, so the stock went down about 70 80%. But how can you justify that? And, and so you say, well, judge, this is judgment. It's time, I think, we're moving in this direction, that the courts are not going to accept this as judgment anymore to the extent they do. I think these guys violated if I do share obligations. I think they were grossly negligent. And they take the attitude, oh, you know, we really, they still say, yes, sir, they answer my letter, saying, oh, we want to do, we're here, we, we don't think I can't understand if it's something bad, I'm just saying as a company, and we're not saying we understand, we're, we're not going in to tell them what to do with science, we're telling them, let us go in. We fixed up numerous companies. We just, the same guys well, I was putting say, on that board just did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So we, we they, just they, fixed up well, they, just now. Let me, let me give First their response, energy. okay? You, let me give their response. You, so you, you want three nominees on the board. That, let's just get that out there. You, you're nominating three people for the board. In some respects, I would ask you, you know, you got 1.4% of the company. Why do you, do you think that justifies having three of the nine oh, people? I, I'll answer that. The chairman the of the company doesn't know very much about science, and in my opinion, and, and he doesn't have any stock. So does, does having no stock justify being the chairman of the company and being on the board? So I don't see why you have to relate how much stock we own. And we own a lot of stock. I mean, it's not that we don't own. We, we own much, much, much more than all the board members combined. Right? You just said they it. Say, you, you, know the better, you know it better, 2 3%, because, you know, the company's a huge company, even though they lost a lot of money. So the whole board owns one-tenth of 1%. Are they justified in being on the board then? I mean, if you use that logic, but I wouldn't use that logic because, you know, okay. there are good board members that don't own stock. But, uh, they, but that logic is an absurdity. They and say and everybody you, on that board, you know, that board doesn't have business acumen in my mind. Even the guys that are in business. No one that could do a deal like this has any business acumen. And I tell you something, the stock went up. I'm laughing, you know, people talked about when I did Apple, it went up like $17 billion, but Apple was a much bigger company that day. This stock went up $7 billion when they heard I was in it. Does that tell you something? Does that tell you how the shareholders feel about these guys? They, so, they say <laughs> the company has responded. Let me give their response. They say that sure. you're being, quote, unyielding in your demands, that any resolution should give you uh, outs outsized influence and control. They say your board nominees lack relevant skills and experience. Okay, so let me answer you. You said three things. So let, let's start with... Outside control. I would have three seats out of 12, they say they're going to have. So I don't know how that ever gives you control, because I could, I could add three against 12, right? So it's certainly not control. I need these three guys because it's such a mess that we need three to influence boards. I know boards. And most boards, you could try when they do something wrong. Most boards, you can, maybe even with one or two, you could do something. This board would be tough to influence with three because they are all, they all really look at this as nothing's wrong. They, they, it's amazing when you talk to them, you know, that, oh, what the heck? I mean, we think it should be done. I said, well, it's not your money, guys. And, and you know, so, <laughs> so I'll answer that, that we have to have that because otherwise we're going to get nowhere with these guys. And even with three, it's going to be hard to influence. But usually with three smart guys, and the guys we have that are going on are very experienced in companies that are in a mess. 
and have been put mm-hmm. in a mess. And I think that the three is, is right. And I don't understand control. We're going to have three people out of 12. <laughs> you do the mathematics. And right. But so we, I'm told we, that they, we, I'm told, Carl, I'm told they've had numerous conversations and discussions with you uh, before you went public. What did they offer you, if anything? You know, it's funny that they violated an agreement, so I guess I can't. They, they, we both agree we're not going to talk about what those discussions were, but they seem to have violated of talking to you and all this about those discussions. And we, well, I'm we, asking we you what they were about. I just know that you've had them. I, I just know that they've had, you know, well, I'm my, told my that they've had numerous discussions. I, I really feel funny about talking about what went on at those discussions because we said we weren't going to talk about them, but it, it appears they talked to you about those discussions and, and came to certain conclusions about them, which are ridiculous. I, I mean, so I don't understand the question. I mean, I don't want to go in verbatim exactly what they said and I said and they said, but I told them pretty much what I'm telling you. I mean, in a nice way, perhaps I wasn't as, <laughs> I get a little strident sometimes, but I, I would tell you that it was basically the same thing. How the hell can you go and do something like this? That's really what the discussions were, basically. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not telling a secret. And, and just pretty much what I said to you just now, that how, I said, I saw many violations over my lifetime of boards. I mean, even in Occidental, when they overpaid like crazy for Marco, but they weren't closing, even if you howled, wouldn't have dared to close over a government agency with that kind of money. When you when you put in that kind of money, and, and in, in this case, Vicky Halleck didn't buy the stock from people that she had sold that same stock to, and, and I certainly chastise her, but at least, I mean, mm-hmm. nobody is close to what they're doing here. And, do and you, it's an absurdity of what they're doing. So that's, do that's all I'm saying. To... I basically told them that. I, I, maybe I didn't mention Vicky Halleck, but I, I, I said that same the same thing, you know. So do, do you, I want to get to the bottom of, do, do you want them to have this company grail or, or not? Because that seems to be a little unclear. You, know, you may have I, issues I tell you, with how it all unfolded. I, do you I, want I, it without saying anything that we discussed, I will tell you this, that what should be done in this company, they have a real problem now, even from, even from a financial standpoint in my mind, because they feel... Oh, they could borrow any money. They're Illumina, and they could do it. In this, in this environment, knowing that this company is in quicksand now, they're not going to be able to... Where are they going to get the $800 million that, they have, that the EU says they have to spend to fix this grail up or, or to... Grail doesn't have any income. This is what's amazing. They don't have any income. They've got to spend $800 million in the next year. So I say what they should be doing... And I think most shows would agree with me. They got a great company in Illumina, and they, you know, in gene sequencing, they should get rid of this grail that they own in a way, the following way, because they did it in such a way, so haphazardly and so amazingly, ridiculously, they put it in a way that if they sell it to somebody, it's going to be somewhat difficult because they're going to have to pay big tax, even if they have a big loss. I'm not going to get into the, how why this is, but they did it in a way that the guys that they sold it to don't have to pay taxes on their great gains. I mean, it's so amazing. They put out. So what I think should be done is they spin it in a way 
with a rights offering. So money, so if you want to buy, so if, you, if you're a shareholder, you suffer the right. So you can sell the rights to somebody that wants to buy it, or you could exercise your rights and be a part of Grail. And that money that you put in doesn't go to this company. Illumina doesn't need that money because they're not making money. That money would go into Grail to, to do what Grail has to do. So the shareholders benefit by owning Grail at a cheap price and having a good management team in Grail. And these guys, Illumina, go back to what they seem to know best or think they know best and run their company. That's what should happen. Okay. So they've got but 458 I, I didn't even demand that they do that when, in these discussions. I didn't even so, demand that. I was really reasonable in what we talked about. However, okay. now I'm saying that's got to be done because I realize how stuck in this thing these guys are. Okay, so we're making some news then on, on what your actual you know, ideas or demands are. So they, through a 10 k I, 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 I didn't make the demand. I want to make it clear with them. I guess in this discussion, that's the first time I'm saying basically what should be done, in my mind. Okay. I don't, but That's I, but what I mean, I'm but certainly going to listen to the other shells. I'm going to call other shells, you know, big shells, and see what they think. And if the other big shells like what like what they're doing, and I'm going to go with them. Hey, so be it. You know, I made a, you know, I made a profit in the company, but but I I think it would be crazy to let this company go with this management team calling all the shots. I mean, because they say that they've recorded a $450 million reserve, which is the amount that the EU may fine the company. That's number one. And they also give a statement suggesting that the divestiture work, if it needs to go in that direction, is already underway. That's in their statement. They say it's already underway. But, now, but I suppose they could... Can I... I, let me finish real quick. Let, let me finish. That. Let me but finish real nonsense. quick. Let me finish that's, real that's quick. Nonsense. That's nonsense. Because let me finish real quick. The best is that the way. It's going to take years to do this because it's, they say we're going to go to court and find out. Okay, what's the divestiture? What do we have to do? How do we do it? They'll argue over that for two, three years. I am telling you, I've seen it. I've seen what these legal things. There's never going to be this. E, the EU feels very, very strongly about this, and I'm not saying they're wrong. By the way. I mean, I could see the EU's point here. I'm not getting into that because I'm not a lawyer and I haven't really studied it. But they're going to go, and they said they're going to keep these guys from doing this. Okay, now in court, if they tell them they could do it, there's going to be something. I think there'll be a divestiture. When they say underway, that's saying thing that they've been doing all along. They're obfuscating these issues. They, they don't think they have to tell you. The facts. They, they wrote a letter to answering what I did, and it's completely wrong. This thing is not going to be done. This company is going to bleed and bleed and bleed looking ahead if they don't get rid of this albatross. It's not an albatross to other people that have money to take this company and make it work, but it's an albatross to these guys, okay, because the EU will not let them have it. I can understand well, a company that could go in with... with and, even then, I would have been against this, but I wouldn't afford it, I don't think. If they did this and the EU said, fine, come on in, then maybe, maybe, I think they overpaid like crazy. But even then, you could say, well, that's maybe his business judgment. But 
What they did is gross negligence at the least. It may be worse. Okay. Okay. So, it, I mean, th theoretically, I mean, they could win, however unlikely you think it is. They, they may win the appeal with the EU. If, if that happens, will you stick around or will you sell your stock and leave? And if you do get on the board through a, this proxy effort or even through some sort of an agreement, do, do you want the CEO to stay or not? You're asking questions that I can't discuss on this program, obviously. But I will say this to you. You've got to understand what win means. When you're up against an agency like this, as you know, First Energy, we finally turned around by going on, and we did a great job. And these two guys that were going on this did First Energy. But what I will tell you is, winning is, they don't understand this. They really, I don't think, understand it all. And it's gross negligence for that, because they, they blew $8 billion. And when they say they, they reserve $450 million, what about the $39 billion they wrote off already for, for this little venture that they got into? How much work did they do on it? You know, when you talk business judgment, there's going to be more definition for business judgment. And I think this board might well be personally liable, personally liable for just ignoring this whole damn thing. And I think there's got to be, this got to be looked into. Because you can't let this, and this might be a watershed case in the future about what the hell goes on in corporate America and why there is no accountability. And by the way, Scott, that's why one of the major reasons that we have problems with this country is the, the, the average worker doesn't understand what the hell goes on in the boardrooms, and we really have problems in many, many, many companies. Right. Not every Carl, company. So that's what I, I'm saying. Uh, this, is, this might be a watershed case of what's going on. Okay. Let's, let's leave it there. i got 20 minutes left in the, the trading session here, and I want to get back to what's happening in the market because, as you know, it's been volatile. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay, Scott. All right, that's Carl Icahn joining us there, Icahn Enterprises. Chairman, we do have the Dow, which, as you, I think, saw during our interview, dip negative, is working on another gain here. We're up 157 or so on the Dow in what's been a fairly volatile session. Again, coming up, we're talking financials, the epicenter of all of this. Oakmark's Bill Nigren joining us with how he is positioning. Talk about his holdings in that space when we come back on Closing Bell. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, 15 minutes to go uh, before the closing bell. Let's get back to Christina Partsinevelos now, who has a look at the key stocks to watch today. Christina? Well, shares of AMD are leading chipmakers higher today, surging about 5.5% on the launch of a new fourth-generation processor for networking security and storage. There was also a key bank note out today, and analysts are pointing out that cloud demand is getting stronger, led by AMD's 10% month-over-month -month growth just in February. 
That stock is up over 33% year-to-date. And we're seeing shares of Meta also jumping today, about almost 6% after announcing another 10,000 job cuts after the company already laid off 11,000 workers back in November. Recall, we know this, that Mark Zuckerberg has called 2023 the year of efficiency for Meta, and investors seem to like the cost cuts. The stock is up almost 60% just this year alone. Scott? The year of efficiency. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelos, last chance now to weigh in on our Twitter question of the day. Are bank stocks a good buy right now? Head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. The results after this quick break. Let's get the results of our Twitter question. We asked, are bank stocks a good buy right now? The majority of you saying yes. Sort of split, but we'll take the majority. 52 over 48. I'm going to ask Bill Nigren that exact question next when we take you inside the market zone. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus Bill Nigren of Oakmark on the rebound in bank stocks. Mike, I'll begin with you. Uh, interesting action here on the tape over the last 20, 25 minutes or so. Bit of breathing room uh, just because obviously seems like the bank stabilizing a little bit, able to rally, no further blowups that we know about. Uh, and then, you know, a little bit of uh, a general sense out there that maybe uh, we're on target for a palatable size Fed rate hike next week. The thing I would point out is the highs of today in the S&P were almost exactly to the point of the highs on Friday. So it seems like we're trading pretty mechanically here within this range until we wait and see. And until the two-year note yield stops moving 20 to 30 basis points a day, you're probably not going to get fully comfortable and have real traction uh, in this market, even as we hold the bottom end of this range. So we're, we're back into watching, you know, extreme rate volatility and the impact that that yeah. has on the, the trade, which is not wasn't good the last time it was extreme. Right. And here we are. Again. We don't know if it's a passing storm in that direction just until we get a little bit of a fix on what's happening next week uh, with rates. Uh, but there was a massive short covering uh, rally in the, the short end of the Treasury curve yesterday. And it still seems like there's aftershocks to that. All right. Bill Nigren, famed value investor joining us right now. So, Bill, we've, we've absorbed these events now with the last few days. How are you feeling about some of your holdings, the bank stocks in general? Are they a safe place to be right now in your mind? Well, thanks for having me, Scott. And if I was allowed to tweet investment opinions, I would definitely definitely have been on the side of the yes, it's a good time to invest in bank stocks poll that you conducted. Uh, I think it's important for people to understand just how different SVB is or was uh, compared to other bank stocks. Uh, not a diversified source of, uh, of depositors, uh, almost all of them uh, uninsured. They had a very uh, large investment in long duration securities, so much so that their book value would have been negative if all marked to market. And you contrast that with some of the names that we own at Oakmark that sell six to eight times earnings like a Capital One, Ally, Bank America, uh, first citizens, and those have diversified sources of depositors. They're almost all individuals. Over 80% are insured, so under 250,000. Their mark-to-market book value is significantly positive. Uh, I just think they're in a very, very different uh, situation than SVB. And as you'd expect at Oakmark, uh, we've been in contact over the past two days with almost all of our bank holdings. And the consistent message we hear 
is that customers are behaving as they normally would. It's business as usual. You know, I, I am curious though, because let's just take Bank of America and Citi, and I'm just wondering if in your mind the investment thesis or paradigm has changed at all as you get your arms around what may happen next in terms of more regulation, higher interest rate on deposits, which has an obvious and immediate impact on net interest margin, which is so often cited as one of those key drivers of profitability for the banks. And if that is materially changed, then I can't imagine you wouldn't be thinking about what happens now. Well, we, we would agree that if interest rates go higher, it's likely that the cost of deposits go up. But it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. The banks uh, throughout most of history have passed through less than 100% of the changes that we see in treasury rates uh, on the deposit side. But uh, on the loan side, that gets passed through more quickly. So uh, yes, there could be a short-term drag on net interest margin. But we don't think that affects the long-term value of the companies at all. Do you think that loan growth is going to be impaired uh, as a result of, of this? I, I can't imagine that it won't be in, in some respects. Well, I, I think a lot of what we've seen over the past week uh, has made the consumer more fearful and probably slows things down a little bit. Um, maybe, maybe that gives the Fed some room next week. Um, but I, these companies, the, the, the story for owning these stocks is not dependent on unusually high loan growth. It's that uh, slow growth in net income, or slow growth in revenues, slight improvements in efficiency leads to reasonable net income growth and return of capital to shareholders uh, makes the total return on these stocks better than an average company and you're paying less than half the market PE multiple. You know, it's interesting, too. I, I, I don't know that you had the opportunity to listen to the conversation I had at the top of the program with Adam Parker, who suggested even Bank of America, which, look, people have different metrics in the way that they look at stocks and decide whether they're cheap or too expensive. And he suggested that Bank of America was too expensive in the current environment. I said, well, it's, you know, it was at or even a touch below book at, in the slide. He's like, no, it wasn't. So everybody has their, it's always in the eye of the beholder, but how would you counter that? Well, we think Bank America is one of the, the best bank run banks in the country. It's got some of the strongest, most durable deposits. Uh, so a tremendous deposit franchise. And uh, on current estimates, it's selling at just a little bit over eight times earnings. So we view it as a far above average bank selling at uh, a too large discount to the S&P 500. We think it's a really well-managed company. Hey, Bill, that sound effect was a two-minute warning. I'm going to have to let you go. We'll talk to you again soon. I so much appreciate your time. Bill Nigren joining us Thanks, uh, from Oakmark as we count down to the close here. Uh, Mike Santoli here for his last word, too. 321 points up on the Dow now, better yeah. than 1% on the S&P. I get the volatility, but wow, in just yeah. the last 20 minutes. Kind of jumpy, uh, again, within this range. It's a little headline-driven, but and we have a, an expiration coming on Friday. A lot of things people are looking at. I think the theme that's been pretty consistent the past two days is the market is reacting to the, you know, the, the, the real disruptions in 
uh, financials and this idea that there might be some other kind of uh, treacherous capital flows into going toward those companies that generate capital and away from those that consume it or might have it at risk. Second day in a row, Microsoft's going to be up more than 2%. Having nothing to do with Microsoft, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. unless you're more excited about the new version of chat, GPT. So it really is this trade. People are willing to migrate uh, toward the, the, the mega cap growth stocks that are self-financing and all the rest. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. I'm not sure that's going to be the trade of the year, but it is a handoff from buying steel stocks, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year and the industrials. Now, semis are still holding up okay as well. So for now, it's movement within the index. It's not sort of a game over. We have to get out because all of a sudden a recession is more likely. But uh, very um, wide swing factors in terms of what it's changed about potential Fed policy and what it's changed about, you know, just the underlying growth dynamic in this yeah. economy. And you mentioned uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, obviously. Uh, Meta announcing those additional job cuts, maybe some looking at that as cover for others in that space to announce more themselves. That's going to do it for us. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.